kind of caught on to this idea as a seven and eight year old that who that who I am is not okay. Um, that who who I am just wasn't acceptable, and I just felt like I didn't fit. And so I really that kind of alongside the legalism that was happening just really began to um, just develop this belief system of sort of modifying my behavior and modifying my personality or whatever it is um, because I just wanted to belong. So kind of at the same time I kind of, as most kids do, like you have different opportunities that are presented to you of activities and things like sports and music and dance, whatever, whatever that might be. And so those kinds of options started popping up. And I mean, as an overweight kid who gets made fun of, like PE is like the la your least favorite class and sports is the last road that you're going to go down. Um, and so I really um, just kind of threw myself into music. Um, even in the third grade, I started singing in the third grade and taking voice lessons and doing um, competitions and, and all these different things. And it was like a breath of fresh air because it was like the first time in my life that something that I did was affirmed and that people... Um, told me I was good at and encouraged me in and kind of at the same time it was a it was something that God used um, in a huge way in my spiritual journey because music was it kind of became for me the way that I connected most to God. So I graduated from high school and I went to Southwest Baptist University in Bolivar and um, having come from just a really sheltered and legalistic environment, I would say that SBU was basically like the first taste of the world that I got. And it was the first time that I got to see that I can make choices. Um, in high school, all the rules and everything are kind of just presented to you. Like these are the things you do and these are the things you don't do. Um, and in college, I just kind of learned that, hmm, well, maybe I can decide, you know. Maybe I can decide what I'm going to do, what I'm not going to do. and um, But at the same time, like, from the time I was six all the way through high school, God had been sowing these seeds in my heart. Um, seeds of just a, a devotion to Him and a love for Him. Um, and those are the things that made me want to choose the things that He wanted for me. So I spent two years at SBU. Um, and then decided to, to make a change and ended up at Hannibal LaGrange. Just kind of like to try all the different Baptist schools in Missouri. <laughs> <laughs> so ended up there. Um, and God brought um, just incredible friends into my life and people who began to just kind of speak truth um, to me. And um, I think that that really was the place that God began to sort of peel back the layers of okay you you have like some major identity crisis happening and a lot of 
misplaced information and a lot of lies that I just rooted so much of, of my identity in. So God brought people into my life there that began to sort of start bringing that to the surface. So I graduated from Hannibal and God presented me with an opportunity to go to Houston for the summer right after graduation and do an internship. Um, I was just going to spend 10 weeks um, at a church down there learning about missions and learning about discipleship and um, leadership and things that were really intriguing to me. And so I decided to do that and spent the summer um, basically arm in arm with like 11 other people and we spent 10 weeks together day in and day out eating meals and doing ministry and learning um, things about the scriptures and um, you really learn a lot about yourself when you're put into a situation like that with people in such an intimate setting um, and there's nowhere to go there's nowhere to run um, and you kind of kind of forces you it forced me to kind of come face to face with a lot of things in my life. So God used that summer in a huge way to um, just really just make me realize I have, I'm a people pleaser. Um, because up to that point, I don't know, I knew that I didn't really like a lot of things about my life and I knew that I didn't like the fear and the anxiety and, and all of that, but, but I don't think I'd put a, a name on it. I don't think that I had been able to like really or willing even to just like call it what it was. Um, and so after that summer, um, I basically ended up staying in Houston for six years uh, instead of ten weeks because God has a sense of humor and our plans don't always go the way we think they're going to. But it ended up being um, a really incredible time. Um, I ended up going on staff with the church there and serving in a few different capacities and um, God continued to bring mentors um, into my life that just really challenged me in the areas of like freedom and living for God and bringing to, to mind the truth that if, if all my focus is on what people think of me and I'm pleasing man, how can I live for God? And it's like the scripture that says you can't serve both God and man. Um, but I thought that I could and it was working so far. Um, and so I, I just kind of came to grips with the fact that I needed help and so I started seeing a counselor um, that was at the church I was on staff with and I mean honestly it was like the best year of my life and I became a huge advocate of counseling at that point um, I like to say now that if you're alive you need counseling <laughs> I mean we just all have stuff and um, and it's it's awesome how God can just bring an outside perspective and just this insight into your story and your journey and to bring truth to those things and that's what he did during that year um, I started um, reading a book that was really pivotal in just bringing me um, to a place of freedom uh, it was all about how something in our life communicates to us that who we are is not okay and I can just go right back to the third grade and pinpoint that that was the moment for me 
and so um, basically what we end up doing is we we begin to wear masks um, and we, we begin to um, put put these different masks on in order to be the people that we think these certain groups in our lives want us to be um, and the author goes on to say that we wear those masks for so long that we get to a point where we look in the mirror and we think that the person that we see is who we really are. Um, and that's, that's what happened to me. If you have a Bible, why don't you grab it? Turn to Romans chapter 8 with me. On this story, um, it hits incredibly close to home uh, for a couple reasons. Obviously, one, because Amy is my sister. Um, and so there's a lot of emotional attachment. Um, but, but on another level, um, in part because like, like her story is like kind of my story. Not just because we grew up together, but um, like just a lot of identity stuff. Even in my story, and you're actually going to hear my story. It's the last story we're going to do on Father's Day. I'm sorry to tell you we're going to wrap this series up on Father's Day. But, um, and uh, you'll hear my story then. But like this idea of identity um, is, really, is really huge. And, and that's why this morning is so crucial. Because I want to, if you've ever struggled with identity. Okay, first off, you need to buy a book. Um, it's, it's called Who I Am in Christ by Neil Anderson. It's been the most foundational book apart from the Bible on understanding identity and understanding who you are in Christ. Okay? And much of you this morning, I would put money on the fact that you are not free. Although, although Christ calls you free, and although we read the scriptures and it says as people of God we're free, you're not free. Because you don't understand your identity. And I don't understand my identity. Honestly, I thought about bringing a mirror and putting it up because I need to be sitting out there and someone else needs to be preaching this message to my soul. And so I thought I could just preach to myself and I'm like, I, I don't really want to look at myself. Um, so I, I was even going to ask Danielle, do you think I should do this? And I'm like, no, I'd be looking at myself the whole time. I mean, these guys got to do it. And I, I don't want to you know, experience that. Um, but here's, here's the thing. Until you understand whose you are, you cannot understand who you are and what you're meant for. Until you understand whose you are, if you're a Christian here, as a child of God, you will never understand who you really are and you will never be set free to actually walk out the purposes of God in your life. Okay, let's go to Romans 8, probably one of the most incredible chapters in all of the Bible, one of my absolute favorites in particular on this topic of Christian identity. Romans 8, um, and I'm going to read a chunk because I thought about skipping around, but like you just really can't skip around. It's like you just got to go. So let's go. Here we go. Uh, Romans 8, verse 1. It says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin he condemned sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Hear the, hear the language of identity in here. 
Okay? For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. To set the mind on the flesh is death. But to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, Christian, if you're a Christian in the room, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, and anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him, and if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. So then, brothers and sisters here this morning, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if, you, but if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Now, I would love to take about three hours right now and just work through like every word there. I know some of you are like, I know you too well. Like, okay, I'm not going to. I'm really going to focus on the first few verses, um, and you're going to have to study the rest on, on your own, or we could get together and do it if you wanted to. But um, here's, here's the deal. Christian identity must flow out of the gospel. Christian identity must flow out of the gospel. And I don't use the word gospel because that's like a buzzword in churches today. I use the word gospel because that's what's in this text. This is full of the gospel. This, the, the righteous life of Christ, him crucified, brutally beaten, crucified on a cross, hung, died to, to pay the price for your sin and my sin, and then risen to conquer death and conquer sin, and that power given to us through the Holy Spirit. If you're going to understand identity, Christian identity, who you are, it has to flow out of all that's been accomplished in and through the work of Christ on the cross. Amy talked about an aspect like legalism. Like I grew up to the same school she did. Okay, and here's what legalism really is fundamentally. It's, it's a pursuit of self. Okay, Paul opens up this passage and he says, there's no condemnation. I would venture to guess that I went around to so many of you and I asked you what type of condemnation you sit under right now, you would feel immense condemnation. Which is why I'd say we're not free. But the truth is that Paul says, and Jesus says, there's no condemnation for those in Christ. Condemnation is this idea that you're not good enough. You haven't done enough. You need to do better. You don't, your job isn't good enough. Your relationships aren't good enough. Doggone it, can't you do it right? You, have you been in this type of environment? Maybe some of you like had overbearing parents. I pray, I'm sure I'm overbearing at times. I'm sure I'm an overbearing pastor at times, but like you get that mentality, you understand that feeling of like, like I just can't do it right, I just, I'm not good enough. But we have to come to this, this grips, is the heartbeat of a moral pursuit is a, heart, is, a, is a pursuit of self. 
It's not a pursuit of, of who Christ is, and it's not flowing out of what he's done for you and for me. Let me, let me make this clear, okay? The gospel, okay, the work of Christ. So much of my life, I was taught, and I thought, like, it's like the ABCs. Right? It's like the milk of the Christian faith, and then, you know, when you grow up and you become a mature Christian, like, and you'll get the real stuff, like, I don't even know, I don't even know what to equate that with, but like, um, like accountability, I, I don't even know, like, it's just, it's so nebulous, it doesn't make any sense. Because here's the deal, like, the gospel isn't the training wheels on the bike. Like, it's the whole stinking bike. Like, the whole thing. Because if you don't have the gospel, you and I are damned to hell for all of eternity. And we have no hope. And you know what? God's perfectly just in doing that. Isn't he? But the truth of the matter is, is that we've got to come to grips with this. Because even as Amy talked about that in her own story, this aspect of your identity, who you are in Christ, who I am in Christ, it's the difference between a life focused on what Romans 8 says is a life in the flesh where all your pursuit is who you are, your story, what you want, the next job, the next money opportunity, the next relationship. Not that those things are necessarily sinful you know, in and of themselves, but they become sinful pursuits because they become everything that we run to. And we slap the name of Jesus on it and say we go to church and call ourselves Christians. Yet we don't understand that we've been purchased by Christ. Look at verse 2. If you're looking in your Bible, it says, for the, law of the Spirit, for the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ from the law of sin and death. Some of you are walking a road of sin and death. Even as a Christian, you're walking that road. And you don't understand your identity. You're not walking in your identity. It's so many of us that are fighting for victory. You live your life every single day. I gotta be victorious. I gotta beat this. I gotta beat this. I gotta beat this. No, I'm not talking about like the video game that you play. And what I would propose to you is like it's, it's been defeated. And much of your struggle is not just your identity, but coming to grips with the fact that you're more than a conqueror. Like I'll let you read the end of Romans 8, but you're more than a conqueror. You already have the victory, and you're fighting for victory rather than fighting from victory. Like, that's your identity. Like You are victorious. I am victorious in Christ. And we stand in that as God's people, and it doesn't matter what people say to us. What matters is what the Spirit of God says to us, what, what the Almighty God thinks of us. There's this radio station, uh, I think it's like WIL. I'm not really a country boy, but like 92.3. It was on the radio at, working at Subway the other day. And, and uh, they're having this competition. It's like, um, my dad's better than your dad. And like you, I don't even know how you enter. Like I thought about entering it because my dad's got a broken neck and he could probably still take a lot of dads. But, um, and, 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 and what hit me was this, was this idea that as having an identity in a father, if you know what it's like to stand under and be surrounded by a loving father, like a loving earthly father, it sets you free. Like we looked last week about the, the struggles even in Kyle's life about not having a present father in his life. Okay, But the truth of the matter is that when we look at this text, when we look at the scripture, we see the truth that God is a loving father. It says that way down in verse 15. 
But look at verse 3. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. And so, so many of us are trying to, to destroy our sin, to defeat our sin. We're trying to be pleasing to the Father, which I don't want to just punt that away right away. Because if you're trying to be pleasing to the Father, amen. But can I, can I share something incredibly freeing to you this morning? God's absolutely pleased with you if you're his child. Absolutely pleased with you. Like, I love my kids. I'm at, like, there's things like it frustrate me. There's things that are tough. But like, I'm absolutely in love with them. Like, they don't have to work for it. They don't have to earn it. They don't have to like walk a certain path and like you better be good. Like, no. Like, how freeing is that? Like, we put our heavenly Father up against anybody, would we not? I want to stand here today, not only say to my sister, but to say to all of you that God, stand, God looks you in the face and he says, I'm pleased with you, not because of what you've done, but because of what I've done for you on your behalf. Let's watch uh, part two of the story. Um, and so through just reading that book and through going to counseling, um, God just began to like, just bring to light like, just the truth of of who I am in him and began to just kind of connect even like the, I, this identity um, dysfunction that I had and the legalism that those were really very much inter, interwoven um, in my upbringing and I and I hadn't really realized that and so the do's and the don'ts of pleasing God and accepting him put in me this desire to please him um, and that in and of itself wasn't bad, but the part that I missed is that I was so focused on that, that I missed the truth that he's already pleased and that it doesn't have anything to do with do's and don'ts, nothing. And so that's the beauty that God brought me to, um, just through counseling and through my season in Houston. And um, the really great but sometimes hard thing about God is that he finishes things and he doesn't, he doesn't just do part of a job. He doesn't just bring partial healing or partial freedom. He finishes it, and I thought he had done that. I thought that I, that there weren't any more layers of people pleasing, but I think there will always be layers of that. Um, I spent my last three years in Houston um, working in the singles ministry at the church that I was at, and doing women's ministry and getting to um, getting to meet girls for coffee and do mentoring and plan events and um, I just really like poured my life into this job for three years and um, kind of didn't realize it at the time but it was it was kind of the next thing that God was using to like open my eyes even more and get a hold of my heart 
even more fully. And so after about three years of working in this job, I just began to, to sense that God wanted me to consider leaving and began to pray through like what that meant and what that would look like. And just felt like I was going to move home. And so I left and I was really excited. I didn't know exactly what what I was going to do or why or anything like that, but I was excited. I was excited to be near my family. I was excited um, to love on my nieces and nephews and just see what God had for the next chapter. And I think if I'd known what he had, I probably wouldn't have come. <laughs> and that's just the truth. <laughs> So I moved and I got here and basically I've been crying for about the last two years. <laughs> um, I, I think that what's been the most difficult is that this is a new place for the Lord and I. That he has been opening doors in my life, I mean continuously, for as long as I can remember. Um, but this is the first time that he's really opened a door into just a really deep valley um, and a dark place. And um, the beautiful thing about it, I guess, is that he's began to, he began to reveal... Um, that I had put a lot of my identity in my job and in my ministry and in the things that I was able to, to do for people and, um, and when, when all of that was gone, I didn't know, I didn't know who I was. God brought me to North Church and at first... Because I was living with my parents and kind of living far away from North Church. I was kind of involved and then not involved. I would come and not come. It was just kind of back and forth. Um, and, but I remember one of the first few Sundays that I had come. And I was just in the thick of just this sad, like just this sad place and I walked into church and there was a lot of people there and a lot of the seats were full and there was like some chairs and like one of the first couple rows and I remember thinking oh great I have to go sit in the front and so I walked up and I everybody was standing and singing and I walked up to the front and I stood there and I'm still in my head thinking, like, I don't, I'm like a mess today. Like, I'm just gonna, like, stand here and cry, and you know, and just be a mess. And I remember my immediate thought in response to that was, I kind of looked around and I thought, it's okay. Like, this this is a place where I can be a mess. And it doesn't matter. 
and it's okay to not be okay. And I don't know that I've ever been in a place where I've felt that before. It's just like God to stop at nothing to have our whole hearts and so I don't know how this chapter of this story ends I'd love to tie a neat little bow on it and um, I don't know how it ends but I know that struggle and hardship and um, God feeling distant and being silent, that all of those things are, are really just like such a normal um, part of our journey. And they don't define anything. They don't define who I am and they don't change who God is. And so I can't see him, but I know he's there because he said it. And I don't understand, but I think the biggest thing that I've come to realize is that walking with Jesus and living this life are not about understanding God, but simply about just believing Him. Just come to me, come to me, cause I'm all that you need. Uh, Amy said, uh, it's just like God to stop at nothing, to have our whole hearts. And, and for me, like, as a pastor, as someone who's fairly compassionate, like, like I want to come and I want to remove pain. I want to, like, first of all, like, figure out, like, what did I do wrong, like, in her life? Or what, what did I do wrong in someone else's life that's walking through some difficult road? And, and what I have to come to grips with is this, is this truth, is that God will settle for, God will not settle for cheap joy in your life even when you want to. God will not settle for cheap joy in your life. And, you know, you heard Amy say it. Like, you know, she went, you know, to this incredible church, and I've been a part of that church, and the Spirit of God is present there. It's an amazing place there in Houston. And she went to counseling, and, like, she felt like God had gotten her to a place where he wanted her to be. And if she was honest, she, you know, she's, I mean, she even said, like, I don't want to come. Like, if I would have known what was here, I would not have come here. But the truth today is that, that God has a pursuit on us that's so much greater than our pursuit, even on our own joy. And he calls us to our own joy in him. And the sad thing is, is that many of us want to stop it. We, we want to cut short what God has for us. We, we want redemption to be partial, Right? I go, I don't want to walk that road because that road is going to be painful. I'd, I'd rather stay here. I'm okay with where I am here. Like you're settling. You're absolutely settling if that's your heart. 
But the amazing thing is this, is Philippians 1.6 is God is a finisher. And if God starts a work in your heart, as I've seen God start works and save people in this very church, I've seen God start these things, he's going to finish them. Which means God has a greater redemptive plan and a greater journey for your life and for the story he's writing, not just for you, but really essentially for his name and his glory. And he says, I'm, I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. I love what the psalmist says in Psalm 138, verse 8. The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. Your steadfast love endures forever. Do not forsake the work of your hand. And I would venture to guess that many of us on many levels would say, God, I want you to forsake the work of your hand because I don't like the work of your hand. I don't like the road you're taking me on. I don't like what you're doing. I want you to um, look at, Psalm, flip to Psalm 62. Psalm 62. I want to look at 5 through 8. It says this. Rick read it earlier. For God alone, O my soul, wait in silence. D- David's pleading with his soul. For those of you that talk to yourself, you have scriptural warrant for that, even though it's kind of weird. But um, um, for God alone, O my soul, wait in silence, for my hope is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be shaken. On God rests my salvation and my glory, my mighty rock. My refuge is God. Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your hearts to him, for God is a refuge for us. Well, I want to ask you this question. How do you handle silent seasons of waiting? Or seasons of silent waiting? Like how, do you, how do you handle those? How do you handle these times in your life where it feels like God is distant? We live in a society that's instant gratification, right? I mean, doggone it, it really takes Amazon a day to get my book here. Like, can't it just be here? Oh, wait, hey, we got Kindles. It's cheaper, it's digital, it's here. Whoa. What do, you, what do you think is next? Like you think it, like, whoa, it's right there. Like we live in a society of instant gratification. But, but we're not wanting to sit in these seasons. We're not wanting to walk this road of waiting on God. God, what do you have for me? What do you have for us? The, the, a- Amy said this. Struggle and hardship and God feeling silent are a normal part of our journey and don't define who I am and don't change who God is. You know what? Many of us have been so hurt and jaded by people that we, pers- we push our perceptions of people onto God. Here's what I mean. God's silent. I don't know where he's at. I don't know what he's doing. He's giving me the silent treatment. He's trying to communicate something to me. He's ignoring me. Do you know what? God, that's not God. God isn't manipulative. God isn't coercive. God doesn't be standoffish so that maybe you'll get the hint. No. No. Not at all. The psalmist David says, God's a, a refuge. He come to me. Come and enter my love. In Psalm, well, Psalm 138 passage, says, don't forsake the work of your hand. Talked about the steadfast love of the Father. 
And what we've done is we assume that God must be talking to us in a certain way or doing something to us in a certain way because that's what, you know, my dad did or that's what my, my friend did or that's what, like, but no. The season in your life that you're walking through doesn't change who God is. God is who he is and what your season is in your life is defined by God. Your season doesn't define God. God defines your season in your life. Here's another question for you. Do you believe God's a loving and trustworthy father? Some of you are like, oh, I don't know. Like you want to, you know, you want to not really jump to that. Is he loving and like, is he trustworthy? Look at 62 verse 8. It says, trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your hearts before him. God is a refuge for us. Listen, you do not pour your heart out to someone you don't trust. Do you? That's kind of weird if you do, but like, no, you find someone that you trust and you pour your heart out to them. And that's exactly what David's saying here is that God is trustworthy. He is a trustworthy father. And so stop being guarded by him. Listen, God does good and is good always in all circumstances. We have to understand what that looks like and what that means for our situation. Because our situations don't define God. God defines our situations. And and unfortunately, we don't, many of us don't understand what a loving father is because we've never either one had a loving father. We've been so jaded by people that we don't even open up our hearts to find God trustworthy. I just want to tell you this morning, like, God wants you to pour your heart out to him. Can I just tell you this? Like, he's a big boy. Like, he can handle your junk. He can handle my junk. And he longs that you would pour out your heart because you know what? He knows it. You're not going to tell him anything he doesn't know. But the problem is, I would venture to guess that many of us rely upon ourselves my last question for you is this. Do, do you rely upon your own heroic efforts to save yourself? No, never. Like, no way. Like, I trust God. You know, I come to church. Like, no, do you rely upon your own efforts? Because the psalmist says, for God alone. Verse 5. Verse 6. He only is my rock. Only, and nobody else. I'll talk about people who have disappointed us. Only God is a rock. Verse 7, on God rests my salvation. Some of you like, on God rests like you're a genie in a bottle and like you rub him and you hope to get something. No, on God rests your salvation. You're walking a road of trying to be your own hero, write your own story. You're the one leading the way and you're looking back seeing if God's coming along with you. God's saying, God rests my salvation and my glory. And maybe life isn't panning out how you desire here this morning, but I would just wonder if there's a chance that life is panning out the way God desires. 
Because he's allowing it, isn't it? If he didn't desire it, would he allow would, would he let you walk that road? There's a whole lot more we could go there, but we won't for now. Because seasons of silence and seasons of unanswered prayer really are answered prayer. Really are opportunities for you to know and understand God, even though you think you can't hear him or you can't know him, because God, the scripture says, is near to the brokenhearted. And that's a promise that you can hold always. He's given you himself. I want to tie these two together as I try to make some sense to some of this and flip back to Romans 8. Because believe it or not, this idea of silence and suffering are very much attached to identity. And they're very much attached to who God's called us to be as the people of God. Look down at verse 15. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The most intimate term. They're like, that's pouring out your heart to him. When you refer to God, not just using that word, but when you get the idea of God being a loving, near Father, that's pouring your heart out to him. But keep going. The Spirit himself, verse 16, bears witness with with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Provided we suffer with him. That word, provided is this mark of exponential condition okay it's this it's this mark of emphatic like there's a requirement here there's a condition here provided that we suffer with him okay i'm i'm an heir of god which all he is and has is mine in christ i'm a co-heir my elder brother jesus christ I'm a co-heir with him. But here's the thing. Why is it that you and I think in our pursuit of Christ, our journey is going to be different than his? Why is it that we think that in our pursuit of Christ, it should be happy and easy and no pain when Jesus was brutally murdered on a cross? And I would present to you from this text that a prerequisite to heaven is pain pain are you been to college some of you you can't take calc three until you've taken calc one and two you can't take the 400 level classes until you take 100 200 300 and those of you that like that are here that are like um they're going to try to tell me afterwards how you know i don't want to hear it, okay okay there's prerequisites to get there you got to take boom 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 before you can get here And I believe what the scripture is showing us is that a prerequisite to heaven is pain. Why? Continue reading. Verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation is longing or for the creation is waits for with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. That's talking about the second coming. That as Christians, we believe that God is going to return for us and take us back to heaven with him. That's the second coming. 
For the creation was subjected to futility, decay, brokenness, not willingly. Like, none of us, like, walk the journey, like, I willingly want to destroy it, ruin my life. No. For the creation was subjected to decay, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. So there's something bigger going on here than just what you feel and what you're walking in right now today or what you're going home to this afternoon. There's something bigger going on here because God's about freedom. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly. Like, you don't understand groaning until you've experienced childbirth. Okay? And, and unfortunately, we have these things in our lives that we use to numb pain. Unfortunately, for childbirth, right? But, but we have these epidurals in our lives. And with my first kid, um, my wife had incredible back labor, and so she had to have an epidural. But with my son, Nothing. Okay? Gro- groaning inwardly. We wait for, like, come back, Lord Jesus. So there should be something in your life. I don't care how closely you walk with Jesus or how far away you walk with Jesus. There'll be something in you that says, God, just come get us. Like, like I love my wife. I love my family. I love this church. But God, I'm, I'm ready on many levels. I'm groaning inwardly for you to come back and take us home. And the truth of the matter is this. God's redemption of us won't find its ultimate fulfillment until that day. Like the brokenness and the pain we want to piece it together and like put a bow on it and be like, here, North Church, here's Amy's story. Look how it ends. The truth of the matter is, is that for all the stories we've done and for all of us, there's no redemptive utopia this side of heaven. But when he returns, Scripture says that we'll be like him. Let's pray. Papa, thank you for your love. Thank you for your faithfulness to your people. And I pray that you would continue propelling us down the road of sanctification as much as we want to stop it. You continue propelling us down the road of suffering that will make us more like you as much as we would rather just be like who we are and forfeit joy. But God, I thank you this morning that you're more about a greater reality of true, authentic joy in our lives than we are. So God, don't stop pursuing us. And don't stop loving us. We love you. In Christ's name, amen.